You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. The missions. And so we've been talking all around missions and a lot about missions over the last uh, number of weeks. We've been here in Acts chapter number 13. Um, what was the first church that we read about in the book of Acts? The very first church called. What do we call that first church we read about in the book of Acts? Yeah, Church of Jerusalem. Um, and the Church of Jerusalem, of course, was the church that was the closest and, you know, that received that, the same great commission that still is in order today. Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel. Um, you know, and I, man, I, I start getting Mark and Matthew. They run together on me a little bit. But go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, it says there, I think, in Mark. Uh, but then it says in Matthew uh, 28, And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Uh, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you uh, unto the end of the earth, or always unto the end of the earth. But that's the commandment. But the point that I made, the argument that I present, is that uh, Jerusalem... The church at Jerusalem stayed in Jerusalem. Anybody remember the, how long they stayed and just built that first mega church there in Jerusalem? Ten years. Ten years. Um, and then when you get over, uh, you know, by the time you get to where persecution came into Jerusalem, uh, it's interesting because for ten years the church of Jerusalem stayed in Jerusalem with a, primarily a Jewish church and just uh, built this uh, big uh, mega church, so to speak. But when the persecution came, the Bible said they were scattered abroad. Anybody remember the places they were scattered abroad? Judea, Samaria. That's right, the other most parts of the earth, technically, right? Well, if you remember, that church had received the message 10 years earlier to go to, Jer- to both Jerusalem and Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And I say that, and I emphasize some of those things because there's a lot of misunderstanding around missions. Uh, But I contend that the church at Jerusalem did not obey what the Lord told them to do, but that persecution forced the gospel to go where Jesus wanted it and told it to go in the first place. Um, So then we fast forward to Acts chapter number 13, and we find the church at Antioch, Antioch, Syria. And so out of this church, this was the first church that actually um, voluntarily, if you will, sent out missionaries, uh, ordained and sent out missionaries. This, is, uh, this church was made up of Jews and Gentiles um, alike. Of course, it was in a Gentile place there in Syria. And so we've been learning some about missions, uh, the fact that some of the things we'll emphasize again today. Let's just read these first few verses here of Acts chapter 13, and then we'll get into the lesson once again today. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. Lest I forget today, I was just thinking of the privilege that we've had 
already on a couple different occasions to lay our hands on a couple different men and send them out. Uh, we've had the privilege to ordain uh, a Treyu, and that's what you see happening here. When it says they laid, they put their hands on them. Uh, that is, or, that's a, that's what we would call ordination. It's it's the uh, the church blessing uh, the work that these men are going out to do, and then we've also ordained uh, Michael as well. And you know, I, I think about this because one of the things that I'm also reminded of when it comes to missions is that the real meaning of missions and missionaries. And now I'm bringing this back. When I'm talking about missionaries, I'm talking about each of us uh, because that to me is one of the key points of understanding missions is understanding that we're all missionaries but one of the big keys is faithfulness not results jesus said well done thou good and fruitful servant uh no uh jesus said well done thou good and faithful servant uh there's honestly when it comes to results i've told you before that i don't do what i do for results um and I know that sounds silly when it comes to building the church and everything. I do it to be faithful, and I'm looking for fruit, and I'm looking for results. I, uh, may God help us, and, and, and shame on us if there's ever a time, and I know there's been times that I've been this way, that I've come into church and I haven't expected someone to come to Christ. There shouldn't be a service that we come here that we don't expect someone to come to Christ, um, that we don't expect and hope for visitors. I do. But the point is, is my main motive is the fact that I've been saved and called. This is what God's told me to do. So, because uh, I say that because that doesn't change. Numbers change. Attendance can change. But my calling doesn't change. And so I'm being faithful to my calling. And that's what all missionaries ought to do. Uh, because we were able to send out, and, and, I, and, and when Atreyu and Veronica went out, you know, and what it reminded me of, was what we've seen many times with the Apostle Paul and the other Apostle missionaries that were sent out. We had the privilege of sending out Atreyu and Veronica. They said, you know what, we are going to serve the Lord. We are willing to do this. And so uh, we were able to send them down into Iowa, and just like Paul would go into a community and share the gospel, sometimes it was received, sometimes it wasn't. And, uh, and it's unfortunate when... They're not received, but that does not affect the call and the faithfulness of Paul or of Atreyu and Veronica, and it's the same thing there. So we had the privilege of sending uh, them out, and uh, the folks rejected uh, their opportunity, just like many others reject their opportunity that we see, we find right in the book of Acts. Um, but we still have the privilege of having a family that we've ordained and sent, and now they're back here serving with us, uh, until the Lord, uh, whatever the Lord wants, whether it's continuing here or otherwise. But, uh, but this morning, uh, Michael also, I'm saying this because I'm talking about some numbers today, but I don't do what I do for the numbers. I do it because of what God said, and I want to see a thousand people. I want to see the doors open and say, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Set speakers up outside, you know, have multiple services, um, and again, if you know me, uh, I, I'm all about tearing down a wall and building something bigger or, or, and all that stuff. But before I do that, I'm going to say, huh, I wonder if we could just start another church over in another town rather than do that. But that's, uh, that's neither here nor there necessarily. But, um, but it's cool because numbers at the same time 
represent souls, when I think about people, uh, people that we're able to share the gospel with, okay? Uh, but today, uh, while we're in church, uh, over at uh, First Baptist Akron, uh, there's going to be, man, I got the number before, but uh, there's going to be between 15 and 20 people getting baptized today at Akron. Um, and there's going to be 22 people joining the church, uh, which pretty much doubles you know, even just the members that they had. Uh, well, actually, it, go, it goes beyond, I think, doubling the members they had when Michael got there just a little over a year ago. So I say that to say there's a couple different lessons that we could learn there. Number one, it's a blessing that we're able to send missionaries out of here. Uh, but number two, it also affords us the opportunity to where no matter whether it's somebody that we see getting, oh, awesome results, or somebody that's like, wow, well, that didn't go too well. Doesn't matter, does it? What matters is faithfulness. Uh, and that's why, we, uh, that's, that's why we understand that. So, uh, with that being said, uh, I just wanted to mention that because it was cool in the context of missions. But a couple things that we see here with the commencement of missions. Uh, how did the first missionary endeavor move from a, willing, uh, from a willing church and called men to the gospel actually being carried out to other places? And so, what happened? So, we see, first of all, there was prayer. Every great work for God begins with prayer. Before the church sent their missionaries, they fasted and prayed for them. We see that in Acts chapter number 13, verse 3. Again, they laid their hands on them. And they weren't, you know, imparting power necessarily. In, in a sense, they were because they were power in the sense of authority. But, uh, but it wasn't like they were giving them some special gift. It was just the church uh, uh, blessing uh, what God was calling them to do. The church wanted to specifically commission them to go from Antioch to the world to preach the gospel. So we can imagine uh, the stirring prayers and tears of that service. So prayers. So when it comes to missionaries, again, big picture, we are all missionaries. But we also understand that among all of us missionaries, God puts his hand on somebody, uh, man or woman, and says, you know what, I'm calling this individual to a, a, a work that's not here. I'm calling them to a, a, a work that's maybe in another town, maybe in another state, uh, maybe in another country, whatever the uh, case is. And so I know that's who we normally think of when we think of missionaries. We all need to pray for one another, but when we know people who have now dedicated their lives to reach in a certain group of people, it's important that we stand with them in prayer. Um, and again, I, I, I think about this. This is uh, something that, uh, that I know we pray as a church, but man, I think that we could be, I believe that we, at least I'm thinking of me, could be a lot more faith in prayer and in prayers for our church and, and, and individuals and missionaries, praying for one another, praying for those who have, being called praying, I mean, you know, I hate to say it can sound self-serving to say pray for your pastor, but, uh, but I need your prayers. I really do. I, I, I covet your prayers, but I need your prayers. Uh, praying for, uh, for Michael, praying for Ryan, praying for Atreyu, praying for everybody, praying for the Padillas in Germany, praying for the Shoemakers, uh, you know, over in Africa, as well as the Ruckmans and the Pennells up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. 
um, you know, just uh, the different ones praying for them, knowing their needs. And of course, we're trying to help make that easier to know the needs and know who we support. But praying, uh, prayer makes a difference. So, the, so they sent them with prayer, and this kind of continues that thought, but also with participation. Not only did the church fast and pray and recognize God's call on these first missionaries, but they finally sent them away. It's interesting, the Bible says, when they, in verse 3, when they had fasted and prayed. You know, little words sometimes can speak volumes, and I believe they does that in this verse, because once again, it tells us that the church was in unity in sending missionaries. Uh, again, these men with various backgrounds and ethnicities that we saw earlier, all of them were focused on obeying the Holy Spirit's call to send these men. Again, it wasn't just the call uh, missionaries themselves, uh, to the, the call that just the missionaries were sensitive to, but the church was also sensitive to the call of God. But also they. They also confirms the authority of the local church to send missionaries. This was not a seminary, a Bible college. It wasn't a denominational board, and it wasn't some other parachurch organization. Folks, it was the local New Testament church. And God, I've told you, Jesus started it this way, and He knows that still today, the work that's going to get done in this world is going to be done through local uh, New Testament churches, just like this one. Uh, this is how He does His work, but it, conf it confirms that it's through the church and the church's blessing that these men went out. And again, that's just us. It's just a local body of believers. Uh, but we must steward this authority as a local church with the gravity it holds. Uh, and we must all participate in sending missionaries. Uh, the world will only hear if missionaries go. And, if we, and we have the great responsibility and opportunity to be a part of touching the world with the gospel. Look with me, if you will, in Romans chapter number 10. Verse 13 of Romans 10 is a verse that you hear here almost every single Sunday. Um, and, and that is definitely intentional. I, I, I try not to let a service go by that I don't uh, share the gospel and give people the opportunity to be saved. Because, uh, man, big picture, we've got to understand that that's the big picture, amen, of what we're trying to do. Um, but when you read on in Romans 10, verse 13 says, of course, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? So again, this, this is dealing more with those that we think of that are going out. I believe we're all missionaries. Everywhere you go, you are a missionary. But in the greater sense, we think of those in these places beyond. Now, how specifically did the church at Antioch participate in sending off these two men? They supported the men with a two-stranded lifeline. Number one, prayer. Number two, finances. Uh, they, they, they were prayer support. They were financially supportive. And both strands were vital. Um, so we've seen prayer repeatedly throughout this. Acts 13 
mentions prayer and the earnestness of their prayer and fasting because it shows the, 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 that prayer is crucial, crucial to missionary success. Missionary families in face an intensity of spiritual warfare. Now, think about this. When we all do this to some degree, so we ought to be able to identify with it. Um, for some reason, it's, always, it's not always so obvious for us that we are missionaries in our fields, you know, on your job, in your, in your home, in your, at your school, whatever the case may be, um, because there's a similar parallel there. When I think about the missionaries that we support and missionaries that go out into other communities, what are they doing? They are going into territory that's been held by the enemy. In many cases, they're going to places where uh, the, the gospel is not being preached. And, and for decades, if not sometimes centuries, this is a region that's been held in darkness. And so they're going on to the satanic front lines, if you will. Now, I say that we can all experience a microcosm of that when you go on your job. Is that not right? Can you not see the spiritual warfare there? Can you not feel the intensity? You're on the battlefield. It's important to recognize that. But I believe in a, in a greater way, uh, the thing that we get to do is then we get to maybe come back and then worship together with our local church and, and, and our community of believers to where a lot of times these missionaries, they're going into a hostile, they're, they're behind enemy lines, so to speak. So therefore, it's important that we pray for them. Uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 30 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. I don't know why this just came to mind. Maybe the Lord brought it to mind, but I remember uh, there's a, a, a great man of God who is also a great missionary, uh, still living today. Don Sisk is his name. He's, uh, he's getting up there in years now, but he was a missionary, uh, I believe, in, I want to say Japan for a number of years, but he was uh, a missionary over somewhere in the Far East. And... I remember uh, hearing him tell, about, tell a story uh, about a number of churches who would weekly pray for him. And, and it was during, I believe, uh, there was a certain time. I don't know if it was a, a prayer on Saturday, whatever it was, but there was a specific time every week that this church would get together and pray for Brother Don Sisk. Lord, help, help him, help the work there. And, uh, and anyway, year, he knew they were praying for him. But it was a while before he added up the time difference and realized that the time that that church had felt led to begin to pray for him weekly was the time as he stood up to preach every week. Ain't that pretty cool? So a church, while he is preaching, there's a church somewhere praying for him. And man, I tell you, we say this a lot when it comes to missions giving because I want to talk a little bit about missions giving uh, today. Not a lot because we don't have a ton of time. But we say it a lot that with our missions giving, we get to have a part in the work that our missionaries are doing. And it's absolutely true. But it's also true in regards to prayer and arguably more so. Praying for our missionaries, partnering with our missionaries, uh, uh, remembering to pray for them, remembering to pray for their families. Um, I tell you that one of the big things, I, I say this, and man, I, I try to be critical. I really, really don't want to try to bring a lot of attention on myself and my wife like we're something, you know, besides just a couple sinners that's been saved by grace. Uh, 
that are still a mess, but God's doing a work on, okay? Uh, I feel like that sums us up. But at the same time, I'm telling you, I thank God for my wife. Uh, pray for preachers' wives. Pray for everybody's wife. Uh, but pray for preachers' wives. Pray for missionaries' wives. Because um, I'm telling you, in the years, I've been in South Dakota, and I'm just talking about out here. This takes place around the world. But one of the biggest things that I've seen people leave the mission field over, or why they've left the mission field, is because the wife just missed mama. Mr. Grandparents, Mr. Family, Mr. Friends, Miss uh, Everything. Um, you know, now all of a sudden, here she is. Oh, she's supposed to be like everything because she's the pastor's wife. Listen, just because a, a woman is a pastor's wife or missionary's wife doesn't mean all of a sudden that she is uh, that she's the most gifted teacher, the most gifted singer, the most gifted organizer, the most gifted all that. She's just a woman. She's a gifted woman, but. You know, but all of a sudden she's it, and then she feels like she's living a life in a fishbowl. By the way, I love this church, amen, because this church has always been so fair to me and my family. But a lot of times, what missionaries and churches experience, and pastors experience is that they feel like they're living life in a fishbowl, you know. Everybody's always looking at them, oh, you're the pastor's kid. Uh, you know, there's a, a certain way you ought to be, and, and I agree with that to a certain extent. But I'll tell you, um, I'll tell this to our preachers that are in the church, Never say, hey, I'm a preacher, so you need to act better. I'm the pastor, so you shouldn't act like that. By the grace of God, those words have never once come out of our mouths to our kids. Why? Is that supposed to be the motivation for why you do right? No. You say you're saved. You're a Christian. Therefore, you ought to be this way or that way. But I'm thankful for a church that's been so gracious to our family. But the point that I'm trying to get back to about praying for missionary wives, missionary children, uh, th think about that. You know, I mean, that is going to another state, another country. We were talking about it the other day. By the way, pray for uh, Emily and the, 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 the Wiseman and the, the Connolly family as her mother passed away uh, earlier this week. But we were talking to Emily the other day uh, at, the, uh, at, the, at, at the visitation and but I was reminded about how that Melanie's uh, dad passed away. Two weeks later, we move here. Passes away suddenly at the age of 44. Two weeks later, we move to South Dakota. Ain't that something? Uh, I, I know people, I know preachers that will say, yeah, I've had somebody die, I can't go anymore. But I'm just saying that the, 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 I've, the main reason that I've seen people come back is because of a wife. That's just like, nope. Not doing this. Uh, this is too hard. Whatever the case is, that's the main reason I've seen missionaries leave, ultimately. And then, probably after that, kids is in there too. Finances is in there as well, uh, being under-supported and everything. Um, but, uh, but also, children. Uh, man, can you imagine? I mean, I, I think about, I try to remember whose names I can call and whose names I can't, but I think about, think about kids that are, I've known people, well, I even think of pastors that do this, you know, but, but that their kids are in the middle of high school or elementary or whatever age. Boop. We're going to another country, learning a new language, in a new culture, uh, all that. Think about what that is. I know some, we, we can easily romanticize missions. Wow, that would be so cool, man. Can you imagine going to Africa and all that? That would just be amazing. Oh, you kids are so lucky you get to go on this big adventure. 
And wives look at the missionary's wife. Yeah, I want to travel one day. She's not just traveling, okay? She is literally uh, moving away and, you know, living in a place, you know, I think about the Ruckmans and many of those that, that are sleeping in a place that's, that's crazy, ridiculously hot without air conditioning. They're having to sleep with nets over their beds uh, so the skeeters don't eat them alive and carry them off. And uh, whatever. But now, that being said, I want, I, I want to digress a little bit to say this much. There's no greater privilege than to be called of God to do a work for God. And I'm not trying to bellyache or whine or complain. Every one of those missionary kids are blessed. Every one of those pastors and missionary wives are blessed because they've been chosen for this work. And, and, and it, it's, it is a great blessing. But I'm just saying they need prayers because it's not just all, you know, uh, easy and fun and, and adventurous. That's a part of it. But that's not all of it. Uh, and so if, if, if you will faithfully pray, my point is this, if you will faithfully pray for preachers' wives, for missionaries' wives and families, I really, really believe this, that we get to heaven one day and somehow God keeps a record of all those things. God's a, God keeps immaculate records. God bless you record keepers out there uh, that keep the details and, man, you've got it. Uh, well, you, you should appreciate that about God because he's the same way. All right? And, and he's keeping a record of that. I'm telling you, there's going to be a time we get to heaven, and I'm going to, I, I just believe that God's going to be able to look at you and say, you know what, Nathan? You were praying for Angie Ruckman, and, man, that gave her just what she did to make it through this really, really tough day. Uh, that, that, and, you, and, and I don't understand how all that works, but I'm telling you, I really, really believe that. Uh, prayer makes a difference. So, uh, prayer. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, verses 18 through 19, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Uh, I think that's cool. Why would Paul be praying, pray for me, that I can open up my mouth and boldly, number one, preach with clarity, number two, preach with boldness. Because obviously he was concerned about that. I get concerned every week about preaching with clarity. Sometimes I'm making any sense. You know, I, I ask that question all the time. I'm trying to make sense. I want to preach with clarity, but also with boldness. Um, and and it, to me, it's remarkable that Paul says, pray for me, I need boldness. Because you don't think of Paul as a man who needed boldness. But he was bold because people, he, he said, pray for me, all right? Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.25, brethren, pray for us. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.1, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. That's interesting to me. I'm going to read that verse again. 2 Thessalonians 3.1, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. He says, I'm going to be standing up preaching. And I need you to pray for me so that the word of God can work. By implication, I'm not, if we're not praying for him, maybe the word of God's not working. If we're not praying for him, maybe he doesn't have the boldness. Maybe he doesn't have the utterance. Why else is he saying pray for me? Pray for me. Pray for me that the Word of God may be able to work, that the Spirit of God will work on people's hearts. Um, 
I think it's easy to underestimate the power and the necessity of prayer. But, you know, if, we, if there's nothing else we can do, pray for somebody. I try to be careful in my terminology. When I, tell, when I know somebody's going through something and I say, I'm praying for you, number one, be sure and pray for them. Right? Because if we're not careful, we can just fall into this, this Christian, uh, um, Christian ease, you know. Yeah, praying for you. Pray for me. Okay, yep, got it. And we just say this stuff. Uh, no, pray. And so therefore, as a result, a lot of times I try to make a point right then and there to pray. Um, there's been times, and I, and I would encourage, there's times this is definitely in order. There's been times I've been talking to somebody, especially if it seems like they're, they're really kind of going through it in that very moment. I really need your prayers. I need you to pray for me. And you say, okay, I'll pray for you. Uh, but, there, but, but I've said, you know what, no. Let's, can we just pray right now? Let's just pray right now. Oh, but you're in the parking lot. doesn't matter. You're in the middle of church. doesn't matter. Let's pray right now. Let's pray. We don't have to wait. Pray. Um, so pray for people. So it shows the importance of prayer. Um, and I, what I was going to say was, so number one, I try to remember to pray. But number two, I try not to ever phrase it as in, uh, I try to say, is there anything else I can do? Because if we're not careful, we'll say we have this mentality. And it shows wrong thinking but uh well i guess all i can do is pray boy if I, if I could give you some money that would be great and if i could help you physically in some way that would really be big i know but i can just pray for you i can i can i can give you some crumbs now i can give you a little bit of garbage here you know i can i, I got a couple of pennies in my pocket i can pray for you no I can pray for you. That's greater than anything I can give you. That's, any, that's greater than anything I can do for you. I'm praying for you. All right, so just understanding and grasping that, and, uh, that's easy for us to, to, to forget. Uh, before William Carey, a famous missionary to India, before he left, he told those pastors and churches who would be supporting him financially that he was depending on their prayer support even more. One of these men, by the name of Andrew Fuller, later wrote, here's what he said, We saw there was a gold mine in India, but it seemed almost as deep as the center of the earth. Who will venture to explore it? And, and what do you think he's referring to as the gold mine here when he's talking about India? Souls, thank you. Okay, uh, and then he says this, I will go down, said Mr. Carey to his brethren, but remember that you must hold the ropes. We solemnly engage to do so, nor while we live shall we desert him. So in other words, he said, we saw a gold mine in India. May God help us to see the gold mine in places in the fields where missionaries are called to go. Again, whether it's across the, the, the states, across the seas, doesn't matter. May we see that gold mine that maybe we can't go down into. And we can lower that missionary down in there and hold the rope for the missionary. And that's what they said they was doing. So, so prayer is kind of a form of us holding the ropes of our missionaries. You know, coming to church is a good thing, isn't it? Coming to, coming to Sunday school hour is a good thing. You know why? Because sometimes we go throughout the week and we get so focused on ourselves. 
and our problems and what the things that seem so important. But sometimes it's just good to be reminded every once in a while that really the world doesn't revolve around us. And therefore, our, our thoughts and minds should not be totally obsessed with ourselves all the time. Our problems, our needs, and whatever. Uh, may God help us to continue to hold the rope, care for others, pray for others, look to others in, in, whatever, in, in, in a number of different ways. And I'm telling you, God will then uh, consequently take care of us in that. Uh, it's not only the missionaries who need our prayers, those yet waiting on the gospel also need our prayers. Christ gave us the direct prayer request to pray for more souls to labor in the, fields of, uh, in the harvest fields of souls. Now, I challenge you on this, and I mean, just, can you think of how often Jesus said to pray for something specifically? How often Jesus said, I want you to pray for something specifically? Now, I know the model prayer, we've got some specifics in there. But besides that, I think about Luke 10. Because I get this picture. The Bible says, Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are what? Few. And then, anybody remember the next word? Pray. Pray ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Isn't that interesting? I know for sure the one specific prayer, here's what I picture now, okay? I picture Wednesday evening. It's prayer time. People are raising their hands to pray. Jesus raises his hand to pray. Yes, Lord, what is it? I want you to pray. I want you to pray for laborers. I want you to pray for people to go out into the fields. And I want you to pray for those fields. That's the prayer request that Jesus has. So it ought to matter to us. It really should. Um, and I understand. Now, when I teach about missions, I try not to spend too much time on the negative. But I understand that there, there's some people that, that, that pretty much any teaching and preaching you've had on missions, it's, it's right here. This is all you've ever had. But there's others who come from other backgrounds to where um, somehow, some way, people found a way to make missions into some other, just another uh, performance-oriented task that proved whether or not you were spiritual or not. I understand that. So, but what I, what I ask you is to please hear what God says. Hear what the Word of God says. Please listen to what I'm actually saying. Not something that I said that somebody else twisted in a different way or scripture, folks. Because what I was about to say, I was thinking about Jesus having that prayer request. But it reminds me of what happens with the spirit of legalism, the spirit of Phariseeism, him the Pharisees because he said that you have shut up the kingdom of heaven against those who would come in. The way you've acted, the way you've behaved has shut people off from the thing that you're supposed to be representing. And that's what happens sometimes and people get turned off from missions. Uh, but I'm telling you from a scriptural standpoint, man, may God help us not to say, yeah, I've heard all that mission stuff. I'm not doing that anymore. Uh, you know, I'm going to uh, well, no, I'm not going to jump ahead to there yet, well, even though I need to because it's about getting running out of time here. Participating in missions isn't about finances alone when we're talking about the missions we're talking about now, although it does include that. 
First and foremost, it's about diligent, fervent prayer. Pray for the missionaries uh, that you support. Pray for people who are lost without Christ and the knowledge of salvation. Pray for more missionaries to go. Pray for God to do mighty works on the mission field and around the world. In addition to prayer, the church at Antioch sent the missionaries with financial support. This is obvious simply by the fact that they sent them out. But also, we trace throughout the New Testament that in God's economy, missions giving is beneficial both to the missionary and to those who give to support the missionary's work. Paul described this win-win set setup as he wrote to the church at Philippi to praise them for their giving. I'll come back to that in a second because I got ahead of myself. Just because before I talk about giving, I want to bring it into the context of giving because does anybody remember the, the group of churches that was praised for their giving? Now, again, this giving was giving to the poorer saints in, from the Jerusalem church. Uh, the Philippians, the Philippians were a part of a greater area of churches. Starts with an M. Macedonia, all right? So, 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 so it was a whole region that was uh, famous for their giving. Now, they did, Philippians especially, Philippi, they gave specifically to Paul to support him as a missionary. Um, and so that's pretty cool. Uh, but then what I was going to say was that when you look at the giving, the grace giving that we read about in 2 Corinthians, it's important to understand the model that we use of what is now called, and hold on to your britches, some of you, faith promise missions giving, that model was a model that was set up not for supporting missionaries around the world, but it was a model that was set up taking an offering to send back to the poor, the, the church at Jerusalem that was going through conflict and persecution, okay? It's important to make that distinction. However, that model of giving is, is what has been applied because it's, 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 it's a model that God has given. So then, then we turn and apply that to missions. This is a type of grace giving that we can do toward missions. The Macedonians were famous for it. The Macedonian churches were famous for it. But Paul said this about them in 2 Corinthians. He said, they didn't give as we first hoped. Because Paul said, I went there because I was trying to receive an offering. Um, he said, but instead of giving an offering, first they gave themselves. And then they gave an offering. Uh, and, and, and so I say that to say this. I remember years ago, I met a, uh, a missionary. Um, his, name, uh, his name was Buddy Thigpen. And uh, he, he, he had pastored down in Georgia. He was, past, he was pastoring in Georgia whenever uh, the wall came down. You know, the Berlin Wall came down. He was pastoring in Georgia. United States. Just since we're talking about Berlin Wall, I'm not talking about Georgia over there. By the way, uh, I, remember year, I remember probably about 20 years ago, I heard about the Russians invading Georgia. I got all upset, man. Uh, anyway, uh, because it wasn't this one, but I was worried about the Braves and the whole thing, Turner Field, how that was going to turn out. But, uh, but ended up it was a different Georgia. But the, but the Berlin Wall came down. He's a pastor. He's excited. And he says to himself, and he says to the church, church, he said, every missionary that calls, that's going into the former Soviet Union, we're supporting them as much as we possibly can. Everyone, I'm going to have everyone 
that, that calls try to come. I want to support everyone. And he, and he waited. And he was so excited for the church to have the opportunity to, to, to have a part of, of, of missions in the former Soviet Union. He just couldn't wait. But he had to wait. And he waited. And he waited. And he waited. He never got a phone call. Now, again, this is going back, obviously, a number of years ago. It's not like he could just Google, well, who's church planners going to former Soviet Union? Nobody ever called him. So God started working on his heart. Well, so Buddy Thigpen left his church in Georgia, resigned because God was calling him, uh, uh, and he went to the former Soviet Union. Uh, and if I remember correctly, I believe he got into a, a university and started speaking, e uh, speaking English, teaching English, you know, as a way to kind of get in. Uh, ends up, uh, he, he's also, he, he, he loved basketball. And he, he, he loved basketball. So what did he do? He started coaching the basketball team. But not only did he coach the basketball team, he started witnessing to the, the basketball team. Long story short, he led this basket, the, 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 a large number of this basketball team to the Lord. What's even cooler than that is that he then, this basketball team, then ended up winning the equivalent of the national championship in Russia for the, for the uh, collegiate level. All of a sudden, they're kind of a big deal. This school came out of nowhere, won the collegiate uh, basketball championship. So get, now guess what? They're popular across the entire, uh, uh, the entire country and, and countries, uh, that former Soviet bloc all across there. So now they're going all across the country doing basketball camps for the kids and doing from Genesis to Jesus with the kids and, and so forth. But, but, but it was just a great story how the Lord worked. But the cool thing is, he went all across that country, but the thing was, he was wanting to, he, he cared, and he wanted to help somebody else, but God wanted him. And who's to say that God won't call you? Are you willing to go? That's a good question, isn't it? Are you willing to go? I remember having that question asked to me a number of years ago, and I've probably shared this with you before, but... Uh, but I remember having that question asked to me, and I remember thinking, man, yeah, I, I, I would go anywhere. But I didn't want to really surrender, volunteer, you know, just between me and God. I didn't want to come to the altar and just say, you know what, Lord, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. Because there was a place or two, and it wasn't South Dakota at that time, okay? But I just thought, I don't know if I really want to go to this part of Africa or that part of I don't know if I want to go to Bogota, Colombia, you know, down there with Pablo Escobar and his hippos and all that. I mean, um, whatever it is, my point is I had just a little reservation. I, I felt like I would go 98% of the places that God may call me to go. But there was at least a 2% thing of like, I don't want to go there. So what if, what if God calls you? What if God wants you to go? Because here's the point. It is, it is imperative for you as a Christian to be willing to say, yes, Lord. I will, I, I will surrender right now to go wherever you want me to go. Because if you're not willing to go anywhere he wants you to go and do anything he wants you to do, what's that mean? What's that tell? You're not surrendered. 
No, 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 98% of it. No, I'm good. I mean, 98%, I'm good. No, you're not. Because you still got your hands on there. And I'm telling you, you can't be blessed the way God wants to bless you until you're saying, you know what? I'm going to let go. I will go. I will go. I would leave my job. I would leave my family. Now, again, what are the odds that God's going to call someone out of this group today to go to some other place? Probably fairly small. But the point is, may God help every one of us because I'm telling you, uh, here's the point I'm getting to. My problem, until I was willing to do that, I really wasn't surrendered to God, period. You don't, kinda, you don't surrender to God for the most part. You know, I, th- I think about surrender. I just got a military picture, you know. You go, you go to surrender to, uh, you know, to, 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 a, to, a, to a different, to another force. And they say, okay, we need you to drop your weapons and all that. Well, no way, man. I'm not dropping my weapons. Uh, matter of fact, I'm not even coming with you where you're taking me to go, but I'm surrendering. Well, are you surrendering or are you not surrendering? It's, I'm kind of surrendering. You don't kind of surrender. That's kind of like kind of being faithful. You know, that's, you ever hear that thing? You know, you, know, you know an excuse that Christians like to use sometimes or maybe not, non-Christians like to use sometimes as well? Everything in moderation, Pastor. The Bible says everything in moderation. The Bible does not say any such thing. But, uh, and, and, and I remember a friend of mine, he was having a conversation, and she, she brought that up, and she was talking about drinking in moderation. I just drink in moderation. Everything in moderation, Pastor. And, uh, and he says, so, uh, so ma'am, are you okay if your husband commits adultery on you in moderation? Is that cool, too? Everything in moderation? Just a little bit. But it's kind of that way. All right. Can you be kind of faithful? You know, uh, I'm either faithful to my wife or I'm not faithful to my wife. I'm either surrendered or I'm not surrendering. So may God help us to have the attitude of surrender uh, when we think of that. Uh, and then uh, on, the, on the giving side of things, God bless this church. Uh, man, this church uh, faithfully gives to missions. But I do want to take time soon, and I understand i got like 90 seconds left, but I do want to take time soon to challenge people in their missions giving. Uh, we're, not holding, we're not going to do something to where some people have experienced to where we're going to hold everybody hostage until we get the number, by golly, that we set we were going to give. That's never happened. Will not happen here, okay? All it is is just saying, hey, what would you be willing to give above your tithe giving to the local church? What would you be willing to give toward the cause of worldwide missions and investing in that. I, I want to give people that opportunity and encourage people because some of you know all about it. Some of you have your minds made up. Uh, I, I talk about faith promise. Somebody says, not doing that. I'm giving to missions, but I'm not doing faith. Okie dokie. When I talk about it, I'm not trying to get you to give to missions the way you give to missions. Just remember, there's a lot of people here that maybe don't even know about giving to missions. I'm just trying to give them a nice model to follow so where they can start giving emissions uh, when we do that. So, but, I, but I do encourage that. Um, and so in closing, I guess, uh, man, I've got a, a couple things. I want to have a, just an impromptu missions team meeting here real quick. I don't know if it's in order or not. I'm going to do it anyway. We can, go all, we can go off now, though, Ryan. Um, but I was just thinking... 
And one of the things that I failed to do uh, before, okay, 